Welcome to Heart Starts Pounding, a podcast of horrors, hauntings, and mysteries. I'm your host, Kaylin Moore. This is our community of people who love to follow their dark curiosity wherever it leads them. If you'd like to dive further into the community, and I hope you do, you can follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Heart Starts Pounding for smaller bites of horror, or you can join me on Patreon, where you'll have access to some bonus content for just $3 a month. This episode, I want to share with you some spooky stories sent in from listeners. Every now and then, I'll get a truly spine-tingling email from someone. And because it's summer and I find myself quite nostalgic for camp nights nestled under the stars, fire roaring, and ghost tales being shared, I'm dubbing this one The Heart Starts Pounding Campfire. It seems as though some of the episodes struck a chord with some listeners. Many of the stories I've heard over the past few months were about memories that were awoken after hearing one of the stories shared on the podcast. When you're laying in bed late at night, thinking about the episode and all of a sudden, there's a flash of an image in your mind. A shadow in a corner you ignored. A bone-chilling sense of fear you thought you could forget. And then, a memory floods in, coloring the rest of the terrifying image. Today, I'm going to share some of those scary memories people shared with me. The first half is going to be stories that tie into the themes of previous episodes, but then the second half, hold on to your hats, because the second half is a really terrifying haunted house story someone called in with. And as always, listener discretion is advised. It's that feeling when the energy in the room shifts. When the air gets sucked out of a moment and everything starts to feel wrong. It's the instinct between fight or flight. When your brain is trying to make sense of what it's seeing, it's when your heart starts pounding. So recently, I did an episode about disasters that have happened at the Disney parks. And almost immediately, a former employee reached out to me with a story. In that episode, I talk about some deaths that have occurred in the park. This is something that Cassandra has dealt with firsthand. But her experience also delves into the supernatural. She writes, My name's Cassandra. I recently DM'd you on Instagram about how I found the Disney death story particularly interesting because I used to work at Disney World. And I have some stories of my own. To start off, I was part of the Disney College program from March 2022 to December 2022. If you aren't familiar, Disney College program allows college students to apply to work at Disney for a period of time less than a year, pretty much without any rights. It looks great on resumes and the Disney discounts are great though, so it's pretty popular. I worked at the Mission Space and Test Track attractions at Epcot and Disney World. I have a plethora of stories of weird things that happen, but I'll stick to the supernatural for this. My ghost experiences all happened at Mission Space. Mission Space is a motion simulator ride that simulates a rocket launch to Mars. And as you watch the first person POV launch on the screen, your seat starts moving along with the images so it really feels like you're being propelled into space. There's two sections within this ride. There's a more intense side that spins at 35 miles an hour and a less intense side that doesn't spin. It just rocks back and forth. 
but this isn't how it used to be. When it opened, there was only one section and it spun faster than it does now. It also used to have a segment at the end that was very intense. Only about three years after the ride's opening, they made the ride less intense and then added a gentler side. Why? Because it was way too much for people. And despite the warnings, guests didn't take it very seriously. Because of this, people were getting ridiculously sick or having medical emergencies after riding. Unfortunately, there were also two deaths. An elderly woman with a heart condition and a four-year-old boy with an undiagnosed heart condition died on the ride due to its intensity. The strain on their hearts was too much. This is where the supernatural aspect comes in. The four-year-old boy who died, whom cast members had nicknamed Dottie, stuck around in Bay 3, which was one of the bays that guests can ride in, but also the one that he died in. Some cast members refused to work in Bay 3 because of it, but some also asked to be put there. Cast members who open Bay 3 have reported seeing the shadow or figure of a little boy running around as they perform morning safety checks. One of my very close friends, whom I trust completely, saw this and swears by it. Also, in a different bay, there's an air duct that's at least 15 feet high and has a small handprint on it. That air duct directly connects to Bay 3. Bay 3 also has the most technical difficulties. Inside the bay, there's camera sensors to detect movement, just in case someone is in the bay and not inside the secure capsule and the cast member who's supposed to start the ride doesn't know. When the doors to the bay shut, the sensors will go off if they detect movement or anything on the floor to let cast members know that they can't start the ride and need to go check. Bay 3 sensors notoriously go off when no one is there and nothing is on the floor that would disrupt the ride's movement. I don't mean like every once in a while, I mean multiple times a day, over and over. Maintenance can reset the cameras and that's supposed to fix this, but the sensors will still go off. My personal experience with this is when I was in charge of sending the ride, but the sensors kept going off so I couldn't. After three times I had maintenance reset it, but the sensors kept going off. Eventually, it stopped and I could send the ride, but in the next cycle, it happened again. Sensors go off. Maintenance resets. Sensors go off again until it stops. Send ride. Next cycle, same thing would happen. This went on three times. I was getting really frustrated, so I walked into the bay and said, Dottie, please, I know you're having fun and I like playing, but these guests have been waiting and I need to send the ride. After that, Bay 3 had no technical difficulties the rest of my shift. It gave me full body chills. Some cast members mock him and they tend to have more technical difficulties. Some are kind and like me, also enter Bay 3 by saying, hello Dottie, and they'll get the occasional playing around technical difficulties, but nothing serious. He's just a playful kid. It's depressing and it's tragic, but he's not harmful. The boy she's talking about was Dottie Bamuwamye, who died on the ride in 2005. At the time that Dottie died, six people had been taken to the hospital after riding this ride since its opening, which was the most amount of people to need hospitalization from a single ride. The park's immediate response? 
to add a motion sickness warning and barf bags to the ride until eventually they had to tame it. Cassandra added a little postscript to the email with another really interesting and really morbid tidbit about the park. She adds, A shorter story is that guests routinely bring ashes to spread on the Haunted Mansion ride at Magic Kingdom and Disney World. Like, at least once a week. It gets caught every time very quickly, and the ashes are vacuumed up and sent to a landfill. I wish guests knew that, because Grandma is now spending her final resting place in a landfill. Cassandra ends with, So maybe the next time you go to Epcot in Disney World, ride Mission Space and ask for Bay 3. When you enter, don't forget to say hi to Dottie. Wanted. Disney World Parks is searching for full-time employee to carry Dustbuster around park and follow any persons who seem to be holding decorative small jars in a suspicious way. Applicant must not be squeamish and will need a, quote, no pile of ashes is too sacred to vacuum up attitude. Pays negotiable. The poor person who's in charge of doing that, oh my gosh. I know it's summer and I know some of you are going to Disney World, and if any of you ride this ride in Bay 3, you have to report back. Please, send me photos, anything. I need to know what's going on. The episode after the Disneyland tragedies was about the third man factor. Times where supernatural beings arrive in extreme survival situations to offer advice and comfort. For some people, this happens while hiking or climbing, but it seems to be much more common amongst people who have been in car accidents. I was reached out to by multiple people who had a supernatural presence appear after a horrible car wreck. People who completely wrote off their experience and were shocked to know that others had experienced the same thing. So many, actually, that I could probably fill an entire other episode with them. A really wild one that I received came from a listener named Jessica. Jessica writes, After hearing the car wreck phenomenon, I instantly teared up because I thought about my dad. He was in a bad motorcycle accident in 2001. He was hit by a distracted driver on his commute to a military base. The accident caused his leg to get lodged in the grill of the woman's car, but upon impact, he was sent over six feet into the air. This caused his leg to be essentially deboned. A man in a red truck pulled up and parked his car in the middle of the road, protecting my dad from oncoming traffic. He said, it's your lucky day. I'm a paramedic and just refilled my kit. The man proceeded to clamp the arteries in my dad's leg to control the bleeding. This happened in a rural setting, so it took police and ambulance some time to get to the scene. After my dad recovered, he wanted to thank the man. He reached out to all the local fire departments in search of the paramedic in the red truck, but no one knew who he was. Fast forward a decade. I go with my dad to get his hair cut at the usual spot. The barber was finishing up another man who said, I've been wanting to share some stories with you two for a long time. The other man proceeds to tell my dad and I about how he's a farmer. One day, a piece of equipment rolled over him in his field. He then said a man in a red pickup came up to him saying how he saw what happened and was a paramedic. The unknown man again took care of this person until the paramedics arrived. 
So two people saw the same man in a red pickup truck. If he really was there helping the men, wouldn't he have waited until the ambulance came? Either it's supernatural or there's a rogue paramedic traveling rural areas in a truck trying to evade the actual paramedics. I'm choosing supernatural. Another story surrounding the third man comes from a listener named Jasmine. Jasmine writes, Me and my now ex-boyfriend, Jarrell, got into a really bad car accident on August 14th, 2016. There's so many weird layers to the situation. First was I literally had a dream the night before the accident where a car pulled in front of us and we crashed into it. I brushed it off and just continued on with my day, but fast forward to that night. Jarrell was driving me home and we're listening to music, specifically Through the Wire by Kanye West was playing. In case you're not familiar, Kanye wrote and recorded the song about a car accident he was in that resulted in him breaking his jaw and having his mouth wired shut for a while. As this song was playing, I was overcome with an eerie feeling of impending doom and instantly felt the need to put on my seatbelt. We were coming off a bridge which leads to a very problematic 12-lane intersection with two highway entrances as well. The traffic coming from the opposite direction has a turning arrow that never seems to link up appropriately with oncoming traffic. As we're crossing this intersection at about 50 miles an hour, a truck turns without their arrow and hits us head on. It felt right out of a movie. The flash of the headlights, tires screeching, metal scraping, a loud bang, and everything going dark. I woke up to the car smoking, broken glass everywhere, and through the wire, still playing. I was in shock and unable to move. I felt like I got hit by a truck, literally. It was in that moment that I vividly remember seeing my late grandmother. I had never met her. She passed before I was born, but I've seen her in pictures. She looked older and had white hair now. She opened my car door, grabbed my phone, which fell under the dashboard, and handed it to me. She also picked up my glasses from under the dash and put them back on my face. I started to talk to her, and she stopped me, unbuckled my seatbelt, and said, Sweetie, don't waste your energy on me. I need you to get out of this car. The ambulance arrived, and I saw her walk over to them. They came and helped me out of the car, onto the gurney, and then she was gone. I asked the EMTs and Jarrell where the lady that was helping went, and they all insisted there wasn't anyone else at the scene. I still get chills and a lump in my throat every time I tell this story. I'm so grateful for my grandmother, spirit guides, guardian angels, or whatever positive energy intervened that night. I walked away with only a broken collarbone from the seatbelt, cuts, bruises, and a concussion. Jarrell's head went through the windshield, causing him to have glass shards in his scalp, which we discovered on our own and the hospital failed to notice, but that's another story. He's much bigger than me, so I can only imagine what would have happened to me if I didn't put my seatbelt on. Jasmine sent me a photo of the crash, and it's horrible. The entire front of the car is crumpled and shredded. It really looks like they didn't even have time to turn. It was just perfectly head-on. She also sent me a photo of the x-ray of her collarbone right after the accident, and that thing is broken. Jasmine, I can't believe you got out of the car with it broken that badly. It sounds like someone was really looking out for you that night. I love that people heard episodes of the show and had experiences that related to them. Please keep them coming. 
Okay, those stories are spooky and definitely make the hair on my arm stand up. But our next tale is downright bone chilling. After the break. Lindsay reached out to me a few months ago with a story that she wanted to share. She had a supernatural experience in college that was so shocking, she tried to recount most of it on her own podcast, The Chilling Podcast. And after hearing some of it, I knew I wanted her to tell it here. The story starts a few years ago in Kent, Ohio, a small suburb near a local university. Lindsay was looking for a house with her roommates and was having a really tough time. Where it kind of started was that me and my roommates had to find a place to live, and there was three of us. We looked through every paper, we reached out to everyone we could, and then finally, a friend suggested, why don't you try this realtor's office downtown Kent? They've been known to help place students in housing. So down we go. It's myself and my two good friends, Rebecca and Amber. And we go into this realtor's office. We're there for probably 45 minutes. And she just keeps saying, there's nothing. We've got no three bedrooms. Would you consider sharing rooms? Would you consider living apart? Maybe two of you live together and one on their own. And we were just like, no, we want to live together. There's got to be something. And she just said, no, no, no. So my friend Rebecca got irritated, which isn't very much like her. And she said, well, we're out. We'll see you later. Thanks for your time. And just as my friend says that, I'll never forget, for some reason, I was the one sitting in the chair across from this woman. She goes, hang on. There is one place. She turns around to this big metal filing cabinet, opens a drawer, shuffles through some files and pulls out this manila envelope and sets it on the desk and slides it to me. I open it and it's a house, a cute looking little house. And, you know, my roommates and me all kind of looked at each other like, why didn't we start with this? It's a three bedroom home, you know? Now the realtor says, hey, you know, these guys are just really particular about who they rent to. So we figured... Okay, I guess that kind of makes sense. Maybe these guys really are, you know, particular or whatever. And plus, this house was in a normal um, suburban community. Most of the housing for Kent, at least when I was there, there was kind of almost like designated streets, you know, which were frat houses and college houses and the like. But, but this particular house was actually in the suburbs, like with families. It feels straight out of a horror movie. There's one house available, but it's blacklisted. Well, once Lindsay and her roommates get to the house, they start to realize why that might be. We end up going to see the house. And we got there, so it's myself, Amber, and Rebecca, and both of these landlords. They're two guys, they were probably only like in their mid-40s, maybe late 40s. I remember walking in the back door And the place is very small. So if you're trying to imagine this space, if you stand in the kitchen and the dining room and just stick your arms out, like you can literally be in both rooms. That's how small this this house is. This isn't a very big place. It's adorable, but it's not big. We went to go to the basement. And at first, they didn't want to show us the basement. And we thought, 
well, this house has a basement. That's awesome. Like, yeah, we want to see the basement. And this basement was actually in one of the bedrooms. So the basement door was in the bedroom. But we swing open this basement door. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the basement. No need to take a peek. And we're like, well, we want to see. So we kind of push our way down there. And we get part of the way down there. And I remember looking around and going, oh, this is terrifying. Like, oh, gosh. And we went to go around this kind of corner and they were like, hey, 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 get back here. This is the basement, whatever. It's not finished. It's fine. Let's get upstairs. I remember that we kind of caught a glimpse of something on the wall, but they got us out of there pretty quick. So we didn't really get to explore, explore. So after that, we passed this, I guess you would call interview to live in the house and we move in. One of the first things we did when we got there was, let's go back down in the basement, because what did we see down there? You know, we didn't really get to check it out a whole lot. And we get down into the basement, and we, it's kind of hard to explain, because the walls are all stone. The floor is almost all dirt and gravel. There was a part that somebody had kind of tried to finish maybe with stone or rock, but not quite finished. It's literally like an old dug in the round hole. We come and look at the side and right there on the wall is this enormous graffiti. The only way to describe it was like something you would see ancient, like a Blair Witch type symbol. Best way I can describe it, there's something that's the symbol for the Church of Satan. It's called the sigil of, is it Bathmat or something is how you say it? And there's like a goat devil in the center. Take kind of that, but make it super rudimentary. Get rid of the goat and take that symbol and make it super rudimentary. And it had around the edges of it these weird symbols all around the edge. And it looked like it was drawn with like chalk or something, like something from a Tim Burton film, but like really old and creepy. And it was enormous. And we all looked at it and I just remember everybody going, What is that? Something didn't feel right to Lindsay. And immediately after moving in, she gets a feeling it's not just her and her roommates in the house. I mean, as soon as I got my stuff in my bedroom, it started with, you know, the cold spots. I could feel it in a corner. I could feel it in the kitchen. I could feel it in the bathroom. And it really started to bother me. And so one day... I could tell it was in the corner of my bedroom. I just knew. I said, something's over there. And I don't know where this came from, but I got the guts to walk up to it. And I put my hand into it. And it was freezing cold. And I stepped back and thought, there's something standing there. One night I could feel something standing next to my bed. And I kind of got up the courage to... To you know, try to suss it out. And as I was laying there, I felt something put its, I guess you would say, knees or thighs against my mattress and press really hard. Like it shook my bed. And I went, something standing right there. So I went, okay, let's see. You know, you're feeling these cold things. Let's see if it's it. And I took my hand and I put it into it And what was crazy is my hand continued to go until I passed through it and my hand came out the other side and went back to the normal temperature of the room. 
and through the length of my forearm, I could feel this cold mass, and yet my hand was out the other side. And I could kind of move it side to side and get the sense of how big this thing was. And it was the size and shape, if I had to estimate, of a person. And I remember just pulling my arm back. I couldn't believe I did that. I was so scared. I pulled my arm back. And then I rolled over in my bed and I felt it lift its knees off the bed or its weight. I felt the bed bounce again. And I knew that it was like, yeah, that's right. It's, it's me. Lindsay had these experiences, but she knew she couldn't talk to her roommates about them. Both Amber and Rebecca made it clear. They didn't think the weird things happening in the house were paranormal. So I had kind of learned in my life, don't talk to it to people about this stuff because they're going to think you're crazy. So I said to myself, listen, whatever's here, it's not going to be that bad. I can deal with this. And there's no reason to tell anybody because they're just going to think you're crazy. And so from there, things continued to progress rapidly. We're talking cabinets opening and closing, doors opening and closing, handles jiggling. I mean, we could all be together on the couch watching TV and a cabinet in the kitchen would just pop open and slowly just open. And I knew that my roommate Amber did not believe in anything. And I would kind of look and be like, oh, did you see that? And she would go, eh, it's an old house. And I would go, okay, so I can't talk about a ghost because I'm with somebody who's already writing it off. And at the same time, my good friend Rebecca moves into the room at the bottom of the stairs and never comes out. And I don't mean like, oh, we don't see you. We would all eat dinner together. We would go to the gym together. I mean, we did everything together all the time. She went in that room and never left to a point that we had to do wellness checks because we thought, did she hurt herself? Did she die in there? What's going, is she eating? Should we call her parents? You know, and we would knock, knock, knock. And finally she'd swing open the door and be like, what do you want? It was like a complete personality change. It was wild. As soon as she went in, it was absolutely wild. So I was like, I'm losing my friend at the bottom of the stairs and I can't even talk to her now, you know? Lindsay can feel her friend slipping away. As Rebecca's personality starts shifting and she retreats further and further into herself, Lindsay starts to realize that the area right next to Rebecca's room, the stairwell, feels like it has the worst energy in the house. The stairwell going to my room was the most uncomfortable, like right now I'm getting chills just talking about it. Now I was an art student and I had so much art, it was insane. So I figured I'm just gonna decorate the whole stairwell because at least when I walk up and down it, instead of it just feeling so like oppressive and weird, I'm gonna put up art and that way like I can see like cool colorful stuff and like it'll be great. So I hung up art and I would come home to Rebecca opening her door as soon as she heard me screaming at me your art keeps falling down the stairs I'm sick of this it keeps landing in front of my door it's so rude of you like hang your hang your stuff properly what are you doing and she would be so mad and mind you I'm not used to her being this way but I'm I'm trying to not make this happen I don't want my friend mad at me so this continued to happen and when I say I hung up art I had large scale canvases like huge I don't even know like three feet by four feet I mean giant wooden canvases you know 
And so I figured, okay, maybe they're falling down. I'm just doing a bad job. So I would secure them again. And and sometimes I would come home before she would get there. And what was really weird is they would be stacked up in front of her door, blocking her door. It was like somebody took them off the wall and stacked them like just to tick her off. So when she opened the door, they were neatly stacked, just blocking her door. So finally, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, Adam, one day says, clearly you don't know how to hang these things up. I'm going to handle it. So he proceeded to do the craziest looking job I've ever seen. Hundreds of tacks. I don't even know how many. Like he put them behind, but then he secured the whole perimeter of each piece of my artwork with tacks. Hundreds of them. There wasn't even an open space. It looked terrible. We were wrecking the walls. And he's like, I don't care. This is insane. We need to get this stuff up. And then he taped it. So then he put over the tacks, he taped the canvas to the walls. It looked awful. But he was like, whatever. You want your art up? It's not staying up. He's so confused. I come home from classes and Rebecca opens her door and stacked in front of her door is all the art. And there are hundreds of tacks all over the the whole stairwell. They're everywhere. The whole stairwell all in front of her door. There's not a single tack left in the wall. And she just said, clean up your mess and shut her door, basically. And when I saw that, I knew it was physically impossible. So with that goes the next thing, which is really zany, is that You know, this comes out much later in a big group argument amongst my roommates, but early on, Rebecca had mentioned it in passing, which was, hey, can you not run on the stairs? Like once in a while when she would open that door to yell about something, it was, could you not run on the stairs? And I would think, okay, like, you know, maybe I'm being loud. So I invented like a system to creep up these stairs on my tippy toes and I wouldn't make a peep. I knew that there was no way that she would hear me and randomly she would bring up the stair thing and I would think, what? And it got to a point where, you know, she brought it up to Amber and Amber's bedroom was literally right under the stairs. So the stairs were next to Reba's room, but the way the stairs went up to my room, Amber's bedroom was under the stairs. So Amber's like, if she's running on stairs, man, I would hear it because I sleep directly under them. I hear nothing. And... Rebecca went on to explain, you know, to her, it it shook the room. Like it literally vibrated the room and I'm not hearing anything. Amber's not hearing anything. And I'm thinking, I have no clue what she's talking about, but I'm treading lightly in all aspects because now a friend of mine is becoming so agitated about everything. So incredibly mindful of sound in this, in this space. So from there, Reba's still not coming out of her room. Amber still doesn't believe. No matter what would happen with Amber in this house at that time, believed nothing. And then the biggest escalation when I knew this is happening. One night, I Adam wasn't there. And I had gone to the bathroom to go through my nightly routine. And I remember very clearly, I'm brushing my teeth, washing my face, the whole shebang. And I go to walk towards the door to leave the bathroom and I hear and feel somebody step on the floor behind me. And then I feel them press their body against the back of my body. And it's, I can feel the chest of the curve of a woman's chest 
and I can feel their like front of their hips pressed against my backside. And I was like, there's someone standing right behind me. And the way that the bathroom was, I could turn my head over my shoulder and look in the mirror and I could still see my own shoulder and there was nobody there. And I remember turning back around, facing the doorway and thinking, the sensation you're feeling can't be real. And that's when I heard and felt somebody go, (sighs) and blow on the back of my neck. And they blew so hard that my hair moved. And I thought, run, run for your life. And I ran through the living room and I went to go up the stairs. And that's when I felt two hands grab my ankles. And I was running so hard that, you know, I wasn't really prepared for this. It grabbed my ankles and tugged me. And I landed, like if you took a doll by its feet and then just whacked it on a table, I hit my face so hard on the stairs because my hands were like in running motion, not like save myself motion. So I just landed face on the stairs. And I remember turning around on the stairs and I could taste blood in my mouth. My nose wasn't bleeding. I was like checking it. And I looked at my legs and I felt a hand grab around my left like ankle and shin. And it tugged me so hard. My leg went straight and I went down a couple of stairs like boom, boom. And I shook my leg free and I took off up into my room and I thought, this is really bad. What ended up happening was we got into a huge roommate argument and Rebecca could not handle how rude we were all being with the noise. But we're having this huge roommate fight. She's freaking out about how rude we are. In the middle of the fight, she points my direction and goes, and you, you running on the stairs with Adam and the two of you tackling each other and wrestling and blah, blah, blah. And that's when I basically was like, it's a ghost. And the two of them were fighting so bad. I remember they just looked at me and they were like, and then they went back to fighting like this. It fell on deaf ears. And I thought, okay, nobody's going to, no one even would believe that. That's fine. So Rebecca moves out. She thought beyond the sound that we were ganging up on her and doing things to torment and tease her. She would hear the sound of my voice outside her door, whispering, laughing, cackling, tapping on her door all the time. And she said even at one point she saw feet under the door. There were times that this happened and she would open the door and nobody would be there. There were times that she experienced this and I wasn't even in the house. And yet in her mind, she still thought Lindsay's doing this to me somehow. We were like, what, when we're watching TV? Like, are you overhearing us talking or something? She's like, no, like you guys are playing tricks on me and stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean tricks? Like trying to understand her. And she just became so angry. She just had to move out. And that was that. I remember thinking partially good for her. She's getting out of this house. Because I knew it was a bad environment. And I was like, okay, good for her. She's getting out. But the other part of me was like, don't leave me here. <laughs> don't leave me in this house. Don't go. I asked Lindsay if she had any idea what caused the haunting in the house. And after years of researching its history and talking to other people who have lived in the house, all she has is her best guess. What I gather, if I had to guess, is that... 
I found out at one point that it had been a fraternity and the fraternity had done really intense hazing in that basement. And I, if I had to use my spidey senses and put it all together, what I think was there was something on the land. I think some sort of demonic entity just roaming around. And one day, somebody put that graffiti on that basement wall. And at the same time, probably, give or take, there's a fraternity doing horrific hazing in that basement. And you put together old school hazing with that symbol, that energy, I think it brought something to the house, you know, and I think that what's there, it lays in wait. And I think it just looks for the right people at the right time. So, you know, we just eventually said like, you know, our, our lease was up. We had tried to move out several times. My parents feel horrible because I would call them and say, mom and dad, I'm living in a haunted house. It's really bad. I need to leave. And they said, look, we help you out as much as we can, but we can't afford for you to lose your deposit and need a new deposit and move again because they lived all the way in Florida and I was in Ohio. And we just couldn't afford to leave. So the very last, you know, the very first day that we could move out, we were out of that space. You know, I moved out and I could never let go of the house. Like, I would, my biggest fear, whatever was there, was going to come with me. And I really thought, this is it. It's going to come with me. It's going to follow me for the rest of my life. But it didn't. And I was like so grateful for that because I thought I can't survive my life if this thing comes with me. For Lindsay, moving out at the end of the year solved the problem. Whatever was in that house seemed tied to the house. And though she lost her friendship with Rebecca in the heat of it, they went on to reconnect later. You can hear more about her experience living in that house on her podcast, The Chilling Podcast. We may never really know what was hiding in that house, what's causing the electrical issues in Bay 3, or who the helpers showing up to car wrecks are. But tonight, as you're laying in your bunk in your cabin, yes, we're still sticking with this campfire theme, think about your own memories. What bumps in the night did you write? Combing through your memories and see a shadow figure standing there, or a paramedic who mysteriously disappeared. Think if it was just a figment of your imagination, or if something was really there. This has been the Heart Starts Pounding Campfire, hosted and marshmallow roasted by me, Kaylin Moore. Campfire songs by Artlist. Special thanks to my new campers on Patreon, Teresa, Amy, Carrie, Christine, Nicholas, Haley, Lauren, Dan, Nina, Sharina, HM, Brooke, Ashley, Jeremy, Brian, Jennifer, and Abigail. Another special thanks to Travis Dunlop, Grayson Jernigan, the team at WME, and Ben Jaffe. Have a campfire tale you'd like to share or a case request? Check out heartstartspounding.com. Until next time, happy camping. Ooh.